You're listening to The Shape, a podcast to inspire, motivate, and push the cannabis culture forward. Brought to you by Trio Solution. My name is Jerry Marzaria. You may recognize me from the past three seasons of The Shape podcast or as co-host of Sports Cannabis. This season, we're sitting down with leaders and companies to talk about their process, marketing and branding, data insights, lessons they've learned, and how to make an impact in the cannabis industry. With cannabis conventions on the horizon, it really helps our podcast understand the climate and talking to the people who are directly making a difference. When we walk the floors of these conventions, we can really see the effect that Detonate Cannabis Agency has had with licensed producers that are being featured. Detonate Cannabis Agency specializes in all things print for the medical and recreational cannabis markets, from packaging and print collateral to experiential pop-ups and custom trade show booths. Detonate Cannabis Agency understands the importance of standing out from the competition even when they've created most of the booths in the room. Print? Promo? Detonate Cannabis Agency can help you with that. Visit their Instagram at Detonate Cannabis Agency or website www.detonatecannabis.com to make an appointment now. Today we have the unique pleasure and opportunity to connect with Riley Starr, brand director of Gallery Brands and founder of Fleur Cannabis. Riley Starr has years of experience within the cannabis industry and we're excited to chat with him about all things cannabis, Gallery Brands, their partnership, and of course take a deep dive into Fleur Cannabis, a product line making waves within the cannabis consumer market. Thank you for connecting with us on the Shake Podcast today, Riley. How are you doing and where are you joining us from? Yeah, thanks, Jay. It's, uh, it's really exciting to be here. I'm just uh, I'm at home in Montreal, in front of the computer where I spend a lot of time these days. <laughs> but uh, doing good. We've, uh, we've had great weather so far this summer, so I'm enjoying that, trying to get outside, get outside of town as much as I can. I can't complain either. And I had a quick question. How are you enjoying the ability to get back to normalcy and resume work life? Well, you know, the work we've been doing for the past few months, honestly, we were able to really keep going at a full clip, you know, because it's a lot of just laying the groundwork Elaborating on the brands that we're working on, um, starting to you know have discussions with you know our partners to get things out to the market. And fortunately, you know a lot of them have seen some challenges, have seen some delays, but have really worked hard to get past that, get back on their feet, and we've been able to really uh, pursue our work. So you know going into it, I think the hardest part was my work life didn't change too much. You know, still yeah. still still indoors, still spending time on the computer. But as you know, as the weather changed. And just knowing that, you know, you can go out and kind of just get together with, with friends at the restaurant or the park, you know, that's, that's the tough thing. Um, at least now the weather improves, you get outside, and that makes, makes a difference. Yeah, so you've been busy. Uh, but before we get started, we really want to get a better understanding of who you are, Riley. So would you mind giving us a brief introduction and summary of your education or work experience prior to pivoting into the cannabis industry? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my work history has taken, taken a, few, uh, a few hard pivots. But, um, you know, I think there's one theme I've always just... You know, kind of been fascinated with, always wanted to have kind of a grasp on, I don't know, I guess sort of the basic systems that like we rely on in kind of modern life to kind of live comfortably. So, you know, in my, my early 20s, I went right into uh, training in carpentry. I got into the construction. Um, before that, um, you know, most of my summer jobs, I was working as a bike mechanic, you know, got into cycling a lot in my kind of late teens and, and was really enjoying learning how to kind of build on my own bikes to do my own maintenance, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I worked doing doing remodels and some new construction for, for a couple of years there in my 20s. 
but through that, you know, it's, I've always got, I've always got a few hobbies on the go and I got really seriously into, uh, into brewing. Mm-hmm. Uh, found an interest in, in kind of uh, small scale, uh, beer brewing. And at a certain point was offered the opportunity to apprentice with, uh, with a good friend who was a professional brewer at the time, um, to kind of come on board and learn the trade, you know, at a professional level. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that pivot really drew me in. You know, once I got into that world, I, I really loved it. And I wound up mostly working in, in kind of the brew pub scene in Montreal, which, is, is a really great environment, you know, because there's, uh, encourages a lot of creativity. You know, you're, you're sort of there and you're expecting, you know, it's, it's a restaurant environment where, you know, you're sort of coming up with something new every other week, something seasonal, always looking for some new kind of source of inspiration, mm-hmm. um, and presenting something kind of novel to, to the patrons who tend to be, you know, people who, who have a similar interest and, you know, are, are kind of serious beer geeks. Um, and it's just a really rewarding place to be where you can kind of exercise that creativity mm-hmm. through something new, experiment with a style you've never done before, and then, you know, at the end of the day, you get to go upstairs. You know, we were brewing in, in, in the basement of our facility and come up and then, you know, share a pint with like the people who are coming in to kind of try those things you created. And that was super gratifying. So I did that, you know, for close to eight years, mm-hmm. um, worked at a couple different spots and learned a lot. And, you know, some of the things I really appreciate about that kind of, you know, milieu was just, you know, there's, there's a really strong entrepreneurial spirit. You know, people will come and they'll find a place to work. They'll brew for a few years and they'll have, you know, a vision of like, what they want their establishment or their beer line to look like mm-hmm. and go off and build their own facility and, and kind of start working. And, and, you know, it's usually easy. Well, not easy. No entrepreneurial venture is, mm-hmm. is, is ever easy, but you know, we're able to find a space and, you know, a really receptive audience for that. And I was kind of at a crossroads, you know, after having done that for a few years where I was like, well, do I want to start, you know, kind of my own place, you know, what's, what sort of the angle I want to take. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you know, the gears are starting to turn things are starting to change with, with cannabis, you know, which was something that had been a part of my life you know, since, since my late teens and seeing things starting to change in the States, you know, seeing a few States again, start to open up and kind of encourage a, you know, commercial, commercial production, commercial projects. Mm-hmm. I really thought there's an opportunity, you know, and seeing just the amount of creativity, not just in the brewing styles, but in the branding, you know, and, and just kind of the, uh, the sort of receptivity that on the brewing side, I was like, you know, cannabis culture at that time felt a little bit closed, you know, it didn't feel like it was, it was open to anyone. I think lots of people enjoyed the plant and had their own relationship with it, mm-hmm. but had a particular idea of what cannabis culture was, and it may or may not really connect with them personally. And I was like, well, I, I think there's some really nice stuff in this area where I've been working mm-hmm. that would be cool to kind of bring over into that space. And now that things are changing on the legal side, you know, try and try and leave an imprint on on what the culture is going to look like after all these changes. What was your aha moment that really made you realize? Okay, I'm pivoting into the cannabis industry. I'm going full force now. Well, it was it was the reception, you know, because it was really just an experiment and a hobby at first. I was like, well, I want to try edibles, and and the first focus because I've been brewing for a long time. I was like, it'd be really interesting to make a beverage line, you know, or just try a few beverage recipes. And there's interesting technical challenges there, like how do you incorporate, you know, cannabis oil into something that you're going to drink. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's so many possibilities because you know, part of my reason for loving brewing is that you know, a drink is an amazing way to communicate all these different kinds of flavors, you know, in a way that you can't really do necessarily with food and other things. Um, so I was like, this is an interesting place to focus. And not too many people were doing that at the time, you know, beverage, you know, you saw people doing chocolate and doing baked goods and lots of other things, the kind of classic, mm-hmm. the classic edibles. And I was like, beverage would be cool. I have some expertise, started working on that. Um, and, you know, again, just sharing it with friends, just kind of getting reception and, and then simultaneously as I was kind of working out the kinks of like how to make a good cannabis beverage recipe, um, just to 
excited because I'm always <laughs> always hungry for new hobbies. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, I've never actually made chocolate. It's you know, it's a trade that I don't know anything about, and it's something that what I'd love I love to learn, and it'd be an interesting, you know, another format where again, unlike food, unlike beverages, its own sort of medium for communicating flavor and experimenting with recipes and having different flavors interact. Mm-hmm. Um, so I decided just to kind of pick it up, and then was able to actually do some training with uh, with chocolatiers here in the region. Wow. Um, did a few workshops and a few classes. Um, just to get a handle on that and then kind of, you know, was able to, to kind of move on under my own power. And, you know, just it was really just experimenting and trying to come up with things that I felt didn't exist anywhere on the market. That I was like, this is how I would like to take an edible. This is what I wish was available to me that doesn't exist out there. And then just kind of all by itself as I was sharing this around and, and things would kind of move around through the social group. Mm-hmm. Um, you start to realize that a lot of other people felt the same way. They're like, oh, this is like a really cool way to present this and a way to kind of access the experience that like they'd never encountered before. Mm-hmm. And again, just the momentum of that just kind of um, just took off on its own. So if we fast forward to today, right, you're the brand director at Gallery Brands. Can you give us a sense at a high level what you've created at Gallery Brands? Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's really exciting to talk about because, you know, it was... It was a few folks, um, you know, myself, Angelina Blessed, who's, uh, you know, who's the head of Blessed Edibles. Um, Dome is one of our partners. I mean, him and his whole team um, are with Little Pharma out in the Okanagan. We all kind of came together and it was all people who had, you know, some kind of experience in the legacy market, um, had some kind of personal expertise. And I think mainly just had a really strong kind of ethos of like what they wanted to do mm-hmm. with their brand. You know, um, you know, I think of, you know, Dome and his team, I mean, they're, really much you know they're right in that strong tradition of you know bc but just like incredibly skilled cultivators um you know people who really have you know especially now have kind of had to balance you know sort of the experience and intuition that's required to you know just work with a living organism you know with this plant and just really draw the very best out of it and being able to kind of recognize the subtleties involved in that and on the other hand have really just like taken a really rigorous very precise scientific approach to the extraction and, and, you know, the process that's required and the attention that's required to kind of get the very best aspects of the cannabis plant out in an extract, you know, that, mm-hmm. that people can enjoy. Um, and Angie too, I mean, she came into this, you know, as an incredibly high level athlete, um, as a fighter, you know, and her, you know, her experience, her entire life's journey was really pushing her will and her body like to the limit, um, to that kind of high level performance. And, you know, her discovery and kind of what led her to found Blessed Edibles was realizing like how much of an ally cannabis could be on that journey that kind of helped carry her through some of the, the toughest parts of that journey. So all of us came together and we're like, look, we have experience. We know our customers really well. Like we know that there is, um, you know, really an unfulfilled need, you know, on the market for, for the kinds of things that we're doing mm-hmm. and let's come together and let's support each other and, you know, um, find our way onto this, you know, the regulated market, you know, since, since 2019, you know, there's, there's, we're all convinced that there is a place for, for that kind of um, that kind of philosophy there. And it's been great. It's been great to come together, all of us working, you know, on very specific things, trying to address, you know, the needs of a specific group of people. Mm-hmm. But that idea gallery, the reason it resonated was, you know, you can kind of come into this house, you know, the house of gallery, and each of us is able to focus on our own vision and our own work and and display that. But, you know, because we've all kind of come together under one roof, mm-hmm. it means people can come in and they'll find something that resonates with them, you know? Yeah. Um, it's really playing to each of our strengths and finding a way that, you know, anybody can can find something that, that's personally meaningful to them. 
So as we just mentioned, you are the director of Gallery Brands. Would you mind talking a little bit more about what your day-to-day responsibilities look like alongside why brand management is really integral to any company? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think branch management is, is critical right now. And I think, I think something that's, that's been a little bit lost in the cannabis industry where it stands right now in 2020 is, is really kind of basic, you know, well-known wisdom for brand management that I think is a lot of people are finding hard to translate into cannabis where mm-hmm. if you're somebody who stands behind a brand and the reason you brought that brand out is that, you know, you have a passion for something. There's something that's personally meaning for you personally meaningful for you that you want to share with the world, um, you know, that brand will be successful and you'll, you know, you can provide good guidance for that brand and it will always find an audience. You know, if it's reflecting something, if it's reflecting a value that's important to you as the founder, you as the director, other people are going to resonate with that and they will find the brand and they'll respond to it, you know? And I think, you know, the challenge now is I think a lot of people in the industry came to cannabis kind of from outside that world and maybe don't necessarily have, a personal connection and mm-hmm. are trying to figure out, well, how do we connect with people? And I think you see that somewhat in the product too, where, you know, a lot of folks are coming to market and, you know, it's partly just that, you know, cannabis has had a difficult year through 2019, <laughs> you know, the industry has, has had a bit of a rough go mm-hmm. and they're coming out with products that are of, of good quality, but clearly seem to sort of um, have the broadest appeal possible to kind of be something that's, that's okay for everyone, but isn't necessarily trying to speak to a specific kind of consumer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, that's honestly where the gallery strength is. It's like, we have an existing relationship with a lot of people and understand where we resonated and everything that we're doing with each of our brands Mm -hmm. in some ways connects to something that's really personally meaningful to us. And, you know, I think the challenge now, and then, you know, a lot of the work that we're doing right now is how do we translate that, that spirit, that ethos, you know, Mm -hmm. have it fit through kind of the constraints of regulation and be able to bring something to market that still capture some of that magic and like that, that real feeling of connection and of putting something forward that was, you know, essential to ourselves through kind of the legal structure. And I, I think we can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of the work now really is, is talking to um, partners that we're going to have for a lot of the production. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you know, we've got the guys at Little Pharma who have the flour, the extracts covered like that is their, their area of expertise. Mm-hmm. You know, food processing is, is very challenging in this context. I mean, any kind of, you know, food production is challenging on its own, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the context of cannabis, especially so. And we had this conversation of how much do we want to do in-house? How much do we want to kind of seek out partners to kind of, you know, have these things made? Mm-hmm. And, you know, for as difficult as things have been for the industry, you know, through 2019, and of course, all the challenges we've had this year too, you know, I think we've seen that, you know, a lot of, a lot of folks who are going for, you know, the most global, the biggest, um, you know, the most vertically integrated, you know, that approach has been really difficult and maybe not the most sustainable. Um, but now here we are in the middle of 2020 and you look around and a lot of the folks that are still around, especially the people that are thriving are the people who really built with a focus on some specific aspect of the business mm-hmm. and, you know, are really making attempt to be the very best. So we're actually really excited now because we're in a position to go around and, you know, we've got a partner we're working with now for the for the drinks that we're bringing to market who, you know, that is their specialty. That's where they put their focus. And so we have fantastic ingredients. Um, you know, their process is really well worked out. We know that we'll be able to, to work with them to come up with something of really exceptional quality. Likewise for chocolate, you know, I think it was a really good decision not to say we're going to try and do everything in one place because, 
the people who are out there who are able to, to help us with that kind of thing are the ones who are saying, well, we're going to do chocolate and we're going to be the very best at chocolate. Mm-hmm. And, or we're going to do beverage and we're going to be the very best. And it's just really exciting to work with people like that because there's, you know, a mutual recognition of the passion and the focus and, and kind of that, that, that ethos, you know? Yeah. And so you've talked about, you know, some of the challenges uh, due to the rules and regulations, just due to the hurdles and the nature of the industry that has really kind of had a string, a stronghold on a lot of different brand directors or companies that are trying to enter the cannabis industry. You guys have done a great job of staying authentic. I was wondering, how are you ultimately able to figure out what consumers want? Right. Well, you know, again, I think that's that's a question you hear a lot these days. And again, I think it's it's sort of a fundamental principle of launching a successful brand is that, you know, there has to be some part of your own intuition that's guiding your work. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's something that you're passionate about, then other people out there will recognize that and they will come to you and like you will be able to find that audience. So um, I think really what it comes down to is knowing that like you have a personal connection to cannabis and you know what you want and you're, you know what you're seeking that the market doesn't really have available right now. Um, and just focusing on that vision and staying, you know, staying true to kind of like what you think is lacking out there. Um, and I think if you can do that, you know, if you're somebody who's passionate about cannabis and is looking for something specific, then you know that there's a thousand other people out there who are looking for the same thing and, you know, aren't able to find it right now. So I think I think it's hard to get around that principle of like it has to be it has to be personal. It has to be something that's meaningful to you. It has to be something that you want to see exist in the world that doesn't exist yet. And if you're able to kind of bring that into being, there will be people out there who are waiting for it and you'll you'll find those customers. I think that's there's really no way around that. Um, And it can be tough because, again, you know, we're working in a system that that is still very constrained, but I think it's a matter of staying focused on that that ethos and, and you'll have success. So if we focus on your vision, let's talk a little bit more about Fleur. As you mentioned earlier, it's one of the brands under Gallery Brand Umbrella with unique offerings that definitely caught my attention. And you are the founder of Fleur Cannabis at a high level. What is Fleur Cannabis today? So the sort of the idea behind Fleur, you know, Part of the interesting thing about being a part of gallery is all of us are coming together and in a sense, you know, representing our experience in different parts of the country. It's like, you know, we have Dome and his team who are coming from BC, you know, Angelina is very much, you know, she's been in Toronto her whole life. Like that's, that's her, her scene. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my brand sort of emerged out of Montreal and like my experience with the city and the way that it shaped me and the way that it shaped the brand. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the focus is really on, (laughs) <laughs> and I don't want to speak ill of my own city. You know, I don't mean this in, in, in a bad way, but it's like it's a little bit on slowing down and appreciating the things that are around you, just appreciating the, the beauty that already exists around you and just finding moments to stop and notice and appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that that expresses itself in many different ways. You know, I think that it comes to enjoying food. It comes from enjoying like a good conversation with somebody else. And that's, I think, where, you know, my own experience with cannabis and I think like the greatest gift it's given to me is I'm someone who, you know, uh, whose mind tends to kind of be trying to do eight different things all at once. Mm-hmm. And, and I found that, you know, one of the things that it did for me is it allowed me to stay focused on one thing and really derive a deeper appreciation from things that were already important and meaningful to me. Um, but I was able to kind of put the distractions out of mind and focus on one thing, you know, again, whether that's just being present with like friends, whether it's being, you know, in an intimate moment with somebody, whether it's enjoying a meal, whether it's enjoying nature, all those things, you know, things that were really important to me beforehand. Um, cannabis kind of opens up a door to really stay focused, to kind of notice little things about it that maybe escaped you before. 
So, um, so ultimately, so yeah. So ultimately, the Fleur line really—it like you, like you've alluded to, kind of in your in your ethos and your mention, uh, your message—is that it pairs well with life, is what you're saying, right? Yeah, that's that's sort of the mantra. It pairs well with life. It's all those things that already bring you joy and bring you enjoyment. It's allowing cannabis to kind of open up new dimensions of that and to appreciate in ways that maybe you weren't able to before or that just didn't occur to you. And, you know, one, one example, you know, we talked a little bit about before, before recording that, you know, we're both, we're both really into cycling. You know, I was a bike mechanic earlier in life. And one of my favorite things to do, one of the most gratifying things is I love to build wheels. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it was a skill that was taught to me, you know, way back. And it's, it's an interesting process. It's almost like, you know, tuning a piano as you have like this, this, you know, this light hoop of aluminum or carbon, and you've got these little thin steel wires, and you're trying to balance all that into the system mm-hmm. that, you know, can, can carry a person's weight either across the continent or down a mountain. You know, it's, it's incredible as a constructed thing what it is. And I found that I was, I did a much better job of building wheels when <laughs> I was enjoying cannabis at the same time, mm-hmm. because it allowed me to really focus in and kind of just sort of chase down every little imbalance and tension and just really just deploy a lot of patience and really enjoy the process rather than being like, I need to finish this job and move on to something else. It's more a matter of inhabiting that mindset of like, I'm going to see this through. I'm going to enjoy every moment of it and execute this as perfectly as I know how. Um, so that's one of those things that's kind of one of my own personal meditations is wheel building and, you know, doing that with cannabis involved makes me better at it, I think. And also, makes it just a, a more kind of, you know, mentally gratifying exercise too. And I have to imagine, you know, many people have that in their life mm-hmm. and have kind of learned that, that cannabis is a contributor to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of fundamental to the brand. And I think one of the ways it's essential is that I do believe that, you know, the ritual around how you consume cannabis really does inform and influence what that experience is like. Um, I think that's really one of the most important ideas that's been guiding me where um, you know, I think a lot of us, you know, our earliest experiences were probably, you know, standing around in a group of people with friends, somebody rolling a joint, sending it around. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's it's almost too painful to think of now since nobody's <laughs> nobody's sharing anything <laughs> in that manner these days. But you know, it was it was the the way in which you kind of experienced it and consumed it. You know, which is among friends. You know, it was a social, it was a bonding activity. You know, in a certain way, it was it was kind of a shared expression of values too. Mm-hmm. That was that was foundational and essential to like how you actually experience the effects of cannabis, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and through this process, you know, I think that there's a lot, a lot that can be done with edibles to do the same thing. You know, yep. when I was coming out of brewing and coming from this, this kind of background where it's like, you know, you're working in the brew pub, you're making and serving and, you know, there's just like a lot of contact and, and kind of feedback and, and, and connection between the brewers and the people drinking and all that, you know, that was something I wanted to bring through. And it's unfortunately, even now, you know, we're not really talking about how can we create, you know, establishments, places where people can go and gather and enjoy cannabis together. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially not now, <laughs> you know, but it's, it's still something that's, that's, you know, somewhere far in the future that we haven't thought about from a regulatory perspective. And so an interesting challenge that I kind of took up is like, how do you communicate? How do you encourage that kind of conviviality and that sort of shared social experience of cannabis? If we look at that challenge that you're talking about, right? You've yeah. you've you brought together a line of products and they range from chocolates all the way over to beverages. And one thing that is very, you know, unique to creating these type of products is that these offerings are also incredibly subjective. So I was wondering if you could talk about the process of how you were ultimately able to determine which products you wanted to leverage and use within your line. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I think, I think at a certain point, again, it's a matter of trusting your instincts. You know, I think there's, there's a, a million different, you know, beverage flavors you can come up with that somebody's going to enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's, I think it's that, that challenge of creating connection between you as the person making the edible and the person who's going to enjoy it in the end is how do you bridge that gap? You know, and we're at a point now where it's like, it's hard to feel close contact between the maker and the consumer where, you know, if I take the example of where I am in Quebec, it's like you have to kind of drive across town to a strip mall where they have the government run, you know, cannabis store and, you know, get it from somebody there who is not actually allowed to consume cannabis in order to have the job as, as a person who works in that store. You know, it can feel very disconnected from where that flower or that edible or whatever that is is actually coming from. And I think one of the ways to bridge that gap, again, it's, it's, it's following your own intuition and being like, here's a combination of ingredients, here's the flavor that inspired me, mm-hmm. you know, and the things that we're bringing to market, again, it's experience where, you know, just trying all kinds of different molded chocolates, all kinds of different recipes, seeing which ingredients played well with which types of, um, you know, cocoa, which, you know, which, which types of chocolate from which kind of origins, um, and making it specific and personal. And I think that's really the most important work that we're doing now is trying to make this as personal as possible, where let's say you're in that position where let's say you're able to access, you know, one of our chocolate bars and it's, you know, through some store and it's like, you may never have a chance to meet me, but you unwrap it and you see the ingredients and you see the flavor and you have a chance to taste it. And there's a little moment of inspiration of something unexpected or something you've never experienced before that, that allows you to bridge the gap because it's somebody else being like, here's something wonderful that I enjoyed that I have tried and I'm sharing it with you, even though we may never see face to face. Um, and I really believe in that, just in the in the power of creativity and just you know being being sort of willing to take risks and do do unconventional things with flavor and things like that. Um, it's a way to really have a connection with the person who's going to actually enjoy that at the end of the line. That that really is personal to you, and I think that that's essential to what I'm trying to do. And I think something that may be unconventional to many, but not to yourself, given your history, is providing a, a line of beverages, teas, actually, which I'm very eager to get my hands on. I was wondering if you could talk mm-hmm. more about the process behind this product and how excited you were to bring a tea or at least three different teas to the market. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I think it's, it's you know, it follows sort of just, just things I've been experiencing in my own life where... Um, you know, that was something where, you know, kind of this past winter, I was, I've always been like a coffee drinker mm-hmm. and just decided, you know, because in the last couple of years, there's actually some really amazing small stores in Montreal who are like private importers of, of teas from all over the world of trying to understand and, and kind of, you know, begin to appreciate really the subtleties and the distinctions between all these varieties of tea and really getting into it and, and finding just like how much incredible diversity there is in the flavor and, and the texture and the astringency that all these different teas bring, because each of them comes comes to that cup of tea with its own history, like where it was grown, how it was fermented or processed, um, you know, and, and I love that. I love the stories that come with a food or ingredient, you know, because everything came from somewhere. Mm-hmm. Everything has been touched by human hands before it reaches you. Um, and yeah, so that got me excited too, where um, it's a way to kind of begin to look at specific varietals and be like, here's something that I discovered that I thought was really fascinating, that is unconventional, um, and how it pairs well with these other flavors. And it's a way for somebody else to discover that. And I think, again, when you can do that with an edible, when you can make it in, in, in the moment of actually ingesting it, if you can make that a moment of discovery and surprise and appreciation, mm-hmm. I really do think that that 
that affects the experience. I think it leaves you more open to seeking out surprising and enjoyable and beautiful things in the experience when that is sort of the the, the tone that was set from the very beginning. So at Fleur Brands, you at Fleur Brands you have the teas, you have the chocolates, and you have a line of bait pens. But if we get back to Gallery Brands and really take a focus on the future, all three brand founders have collaborated with each other to bring together Kala Cannabis to the market, the first of many in-house brands. Can you tell our listeners what they can expect from this line and why you guys decided to go to roll out with Kala as the first true collab product? Well, because I think it was, you know, all of us came together and had our own experiences and had kind of been working on our own, you know, our own brands and our own products. Mm-hmm. Um, but in coming together under gallery, you know, I think, you know, we spent a lot of time talking and, you know, we kind of mentioned this earlier. It's like one of those experiences that we all came back to is that introduction to cannabis. Like where, where did that relationship begin? Mm-hmm. And for all of us, you know, it was just, you know, being able to roll a joint with some flour, you know, that, that often, you know, if we were lucky enough to have a connection to the person who grew it. Um, and that's so immediate and so personal and so meaningful. Um, and we wanted to be able to capture a little bit of that magic with Kala is just going back to really the basics. And, you know, we're fortunate to have folks on our team who, again, are just flower experts who grow, um, you know, incredible cannabis. And we're like, well, let's, let's bring that back to the market. You know, like let's, let's put our own stamp on this thing where it's like, this is how we first experienced this plant. This is where this whole relationship that has had profound effects on all of our lives. You know, this is where it all began, you know, and we wanted to create something that embodied that, that magic first experience, you know, and um, a simple flower pre-roll was exactly what that represented for all of us. So it made sense to make that, you know, a, a kind of, a full gallery collaboration, something that we all sort of had a hand in. Um, it felt like it was the right thing. It was, the, it was the one shared experience across all of us that felt really important. So speaking of dry flowers, I've got to ask, what is your favorite mode of consumption for cannabis? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, you know, <laughs> early in my life, and this is, I think, a more common thing in Quebec than other places, and I don't know if it's the French influence, but it was always, um, you know, we like to roll spliffs. So it was a combination of flour and tobacco. Mm-hmm. Um which I kind of moved away from. I didn't, you know, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of tobacco. Mm-hmm. And so, so for, through most of my twenties, a, a lot of my life, it was, you know, that was the classic thing, the joint. But, you know, again, one of these areas of creativity that I feel has really taken off, you know, since, since legalization, since cannabis has had this opportunity to really kind of take its place in the mainstream is, you know, people who are ceramics artists or glass blowers. I mean, that's always been around, but you just see this, I think, new diversity of beautiful like pipes and smoking implements. Mm-hmm. And I've actually started, you know, a nice collection from, from like small makers of really beautiful different designs of ceramic pipes. And I find that, that I'm often a, a pipe smoker these days, just because it's nice. It's always nice every time to interact again with like some object that's been shaped by hand that has some, some, you know, some, some creative force behind it. You know, it's, 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 it's as much a sculpture and a work of art as it is a tool. Um, and again, you know, I think that that really speaks to me that there's something in the process of, um, of smoking or eating or however you want to take cannabis that, that, you know, comes from somebody else's creative instinct and it's something that they've shared with you and it's, and there's, you feel immediately a connection to whoever made that piece. Mm-hmm. And I think it really does impact the experience in a really positive way. So the reason why I ask this question is because cannabis is continuously evolving, right? The technology is continuously pushing the landscape and the way it's being offered to consumers. Are you worried within the next 15 to 20 years, we'll no longer see or recognize the dry flower that we see today? You know, I wonder about that. And, and it doesn't really worry me. I think that, 
you know, our focus is always on novelty. It's, it's what's the latest thing. And I think that shapes our, our perception of what exists in the world. But the truth is, I think there will always be room for people who just enjoy flour and just like having personal contact with the flour, whether it's to smoke it or to make their own edibles. You know, there's so many things you can do with it, even just, you know, at a personal level. Um, you know, I think it's, I think it's encouraging. You know, it's like, you're right. You know, cannabis has come so far. We're able to break it down into its component parts. Every single molecule that exists in that plant is being studied. Um, and I think that's, I think that's a wonderful thing. I think that's going to bring out the full potential cannabis as a medicine um, once we have that full understanding. But I think there will always be room for the simplest thing. I mean, I think now more than ever, many people were doing this before, but now they don't have to hide doing, you know, we'll have like a couple of cannabis plants in their backyard or on their balcony. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's like so many things that'll find a way into our lives where, you know, maybe the, the products we consume most of the time come from a store and maybe it's like a, it's, you know, it's, it's a vape pen and it's this extraction that was made from a plant and it's, you know, highly transformed. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe we still have, you know, a few buds growing on a plant outside that we can harvest and, you know, are able to have that, that immediate connection. I think, I think our taste for that kind of immediate connection will never go away and there'll always be place for flour, you know? So um, I don't think it's going anywhere. Yeah. So Riley, when we uh, take a look back from when you decided to pivot into the cannabis industry to today, you've really achieved a lot and you've also faced a ton of adversity. If you could relay any three tips to an aspiring entrepreneur following a similar path to yourself, what would those three tips be? Oh, three might be a lot. <laughs> I think the first one, you know, and, and and I think we've revisited this already a couple of times is, you know, first of all is, is trust your instincts. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and always, always remember what the reasons were for pushing you into that project. Why did you take that on? And I know for myself, it was just having this response of other people who didn't think that they had a place in cannabis culture, even though cannabis was important to them mm-hmm. saying this actually speaks to me in a way that I didn't think, you know, anybody else felt the same way. And that's what's kept me driving throughout the whole process. It's just knowing that there's other people out there who share those tastes and share an appreciation for that experience in the same way that I do. Um, and that's why I continue to be passionate about it. And that's what kept me going through, you know, um, difficult transitions. So never lose sight of the reason that you're doing something and why it's important to you. Because when you lose sight of that, not only is it hard to stay motivated, but I think you lose whatever's meaningful about that endeavor, about that project, because it has to be personally meaningful, the passion has to be there and you have to always make sure that you're listening to that. Mm-hmm. Um, another piece of advice, and I think maybe this is <laughs> maybe this is more specific to cannabis itself, um, the industry that we have right now in Canada is, and it's a strange thing to say, but it's have patience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think we're in a place where, you know, a lot of people have, have made big moves early and for some people it's really paid off. For others, the landscape changes so quickly that you may you know, put a lot of effort, a lot of money probably, and just a lot of resources behind a particular approach to something and realizing that, you know, the industry a year later is completely different than what you thought you were planning for. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, this is the approach that we've taken, but it makes sense to stay small, again, stay focused on the reason that we're doing this and what we think is important about it. Um, And, and try and try to think long-term, understand that change is an inherent part of this business right now. Mm -hmm. And, if you feel like there's pressure to move in a specific direction, but it doesn't feel like it's what's right for your brand or the company, mm-hmm. um, be prepared to say no and be prepared to wait for the next opportunity. That's incredible um, advice. I think, yeah. 
Yeah, I think that would serve people well. You know, I think we're, you know, we're, we're not going to be at the end of this journey for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, things are changing all the time and the circumstances are changing all the time too. I mean, you know, that's another lesson I think we all need to internalize. Um, so again, stick close to your instincts and, and know that like what, what seems like a really sound decision today might seem a lot shakier tomorrow. And if it doesn't seem like the right place to go, then it's okay to say no and wait for the next opportunity. That makes sense. Now, thank you so much for joining us on the Shake Podcast, Riley. But before we let you go, we like to ask all of our guests one last question. And that is, is there a piece of technology, a book, or a past experience that has helped shape who you are today? Yeah, oh man, that's, that's a big question. Um, I think I think the answer I would, I would give uh, is a book. Um, and it's not like it's not like an obscure book. I think a lot of people are familiar with this. And the author, uh, Michael Pollan, is, is very well known. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of his early books was called The Botany of Desire. Mm-hmm. And it was sort of divided into four sections. And each section was the historical account and also kind of the story of how humanity's interactions with a crop, like something they cultivated, you know, a, a fruit or a plant or, you know, cannabis was one of the four. Mm-hmm. Um how that influence really goes both directions. You know, it's not us necessarily mastering a plant, you know, putting in a giant field and growing it for our own purposes. There's, there's always, there's always, uh, you know, some, some two way dynamic there. You know, the, the thing that you try and tame and master and derive something from always ends up affecting you in some way. And particularly the story around how that's happened with cannabis. I mean, this book was published, I think in the late eighties or nineties. So before, you know, all the, the legalization, Mm-hmm. Um, sort of process happening in North America. But the wisdom in that story, I think, remains super relevant, um, not just to cannabis, but to many things in life that, you know, the things that you try and affect inevitably affect you. Mm-hmm. And I've just found that's a little piece of wisdom that that inflects everything I do. And I think it's, uh, and it's just a, it's a nice, short, and really, really fascinating read. So The Botany of Desire by Michael Pollan is, uh, would be my answer to that. We want to give a huge thank you to Riley Starr for joining the Shake Podcast presented by Treehouse Solutions. We also want to thank our loyal Shake listeners for taking the time out of your day to listen to our podcast. You can join the discussion or drop us a line at www.treehousesolutions.com and on Instagram at the Shake Podcast. Please also check out our parent Instagram at Treehouse Solutions. And if you're a huge sports fan and love cannabis or everything in between, we have you covered. Check out our latest channel at Sports Cannabis on Instagram. If you're on Twitter, follow us at THS underscore audio. Be sure to look out for our next episode when we chat with another industry leading representative. We hope you enjoyed our session. Stay tuned for our next podcast.